0: Hello everyone and welcome to this special edition of Employment Matters brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance. The world's largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm your host Pete Waltz. Along with bringing you updates and critical information happening all around the world we're always fortunate to have the chance to dial in our local ELA lawyers. These good people are practicing on the ground in jurisdictions all around the globe working daily to help their local clients move through difficult times. On the program we span the globe we've received updates on critical information from ela members all around the world today we're going to be chatting with one of our members from the kingdom of saudi arabia joining us today is sarah koja a partner at clyde and co today on the podcast our podcast team expands and we're welcoming our newest host from the africa middle east region many of our listeners may remember chloe Loebscher, who's a lawyer at bowman's in south africa Chloe's been a host and a moderator in our ELA webinar series. She's also been a guest on this podcast where she shared some updates on the Personal Information Act in South Africa. So check that out in our archives. Chloe, I am so excited to have you with us. Welcome to the team. How are you doing today?
1: Hi, Pete. Thanks so much. It's so great to be here. Hello, everyone. And I'm excited to be moderating my very first podcast. Today, Sarah and I will be chatting about a very interesting topic, Saudi Arabia's national anti-discrimination policy. Welcome to the program, Sarah. How are you doing today? I'm very well, thank you, and it's a pleasure to join you. Great, thanks. Well, let's dive straight in. I believe that recently the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia has introduced some provisions in its Labour Code to address prohibited discrimination. Can you tell us more about these provisions? Yes. So it is, I'd say, a major development,
2: and it took place in the second half of 2019, So in September, October, a number of changes were made, not only into the Labour Code, but generally into a number of laws and regulations in the kingdom. Now, specifically with the Labour Code, a new Article 3 was introduced, and I'll just read out the text of it, because there are a few interesting things to point out with it. So the new Article 3 says, Work shall be the right of the citizen which shall not be exercised by any other person unless the conditions provided in this law are met, citizens are equal in the right to work without any discrimination on the basis of sex, disability, age or any other form of discrimination, whether during the performance of the work or when hiring or advertising it. Now this is the first time that we've had a specific clause in the labor law that references a general prohibition on discriminating against an individual by virtue of that individual being a member of a protected class. So, you know, if you hire a man instead of a woman, if you don't hire a disabled person, if you discriminate on the basis of age and so on. So it was a really radical development. Now, if we pick out a few of the things that are in this article, it very specifically references the citizen. So interestingly, this article is designed to protect Saudi nationals and not generally all employees. So, of course, that is incredibly interesting and significant, both in terms of the breadth of the article, who it's designed to protect and and who it will apply to. Now, the other interesting thing is whilst we have this general principle in Article 3, we then don't really have any further explanation as to what this means how it would be applied, what kind of things an employer would need to consider. And significantly, we also don't have a clause that gives specific compensation if an employer has breached Article Three. So we have this clause which is aspirational in nature, but in terms of enforcement, now if you as an individual believe that, for example, you weren't given the job because you're a woman, Maybe because you are of let's say you know the age where you might get married and have children, which you know is often sort of the, the feeling of discrimination in cases that we know have happened around the world, this clause doesn't actually say what you could do by way of complaining and then maybe being compensated if you were successful in establishing that that indeed was what had happened so that that's very significant, so whilst this article is a huge development in the labour framework in the kingdom, it does have limitations. Now, alongside this article, the Ministry of HR and Social Development did issue a regulatory fine for breach of Article 3, which is a fine of 20,000 reals. So presumably, if an employee or an individual were to complain, this is a fine that the ministry could impose. So again, another interesting thing is that it's more of a policy type approach rather than an individual rights and an enforcement issue at the moment, the way the law is, is currently framed.
1: So interesting, Sarah. It sounds like it's quite groundbreaking, but it, I do see how there would be some enforcement issues there. But often, when we think of Saudi Arabia, the issue of gender equality is the main topic of conversation. What does the law provide in that regard? And what have you seen over recent years along this topic? Definitely. I mean, The position of women, if I
2: can describe in that way, has been a huge focus, I think, internationally, and there's been a lot of media attention on it. And in recent years, I would say there's been a sea change in the regulation of issues or how regulations kind of have impacted on women specifically, and also a huge move to change the cultural context and social norms. So that women are encouraged to take part in public places, you know, to be in public places, to take part in, let's say, public life. And if we go through some of the changes that have happened more recently, again in 2019, in the second half, September and October, the regulations were changed with respect to personal issues. Now, when we look at some of the changes, they seem administrative in nature, but actually from a cultural and social perspective, They actually had a huge impact. And to give you an example, the regulations now provide that, for example, if if a woman wants to get a passport, she has to make that application herself. She has to make that application. She can go and do that herself. It's not something that her guardian, and the guardian is taken to be her nearest male relation. So that would be her father. If he's not alive, then her eldest brother, or if she's married, then her husband. And the regulations in 2019 in the second half changed all of that kind of context. So now women have to apply for their own passports. They can now drive. The unofficial sort of ban on women driving was lifted in 2018. Technically, the requirement in the labour law that a woman's guardian gives permission for her to work has been suspended and and effectively removed. So there's been a, a number of things which have meant that women are in greater control of what they do, how they do it, and, and what they choose to do. So it, it really has been a huge change. If we go into sort of looking at kind of labour rights that specifically affect women, I think sometimes it's it's a surprise to many that actually maternity leave in the kingdom is, is the best in the Gulf Cooperation Council region. So the labour law in the kingdom provides for 10 weeks of paid leave, minimum paid leave, then an extra month of unpaid leave if the woman would like to take it. And if the child is born with a disability, then she can take an extra month of paid leave and an extra month of unpaid leave. And the law also provides that the employer has to provide medical insurance to the pregnant employee. And when she returns to work, she has the right to two nursing breaks during the working day until the child is two years old without any reduction in remuneration. So actually, the law does support working mothers quite a lot, perhaps, you know, to the surprise of many who are not familiar with the kingdom. And to highlight two also obligations on employers is that if you're a large employer and you have 50 or, or more female employees and they have children who are under the age of six and the collective group of 50 have at least 10 children under the age of six, then the employer has to provide them with a nursing area. And if an employer has 100 female staff and also a certain threshold with children under six, then the employer has to, as a matter of law, provide access to nursery. So either on-site, there has to be a nursery for female employees to enroll or put their children during their working day, or they'd have to pay for access to a nursery. And again, that's quite a radical requirement, especially in the Middle East region, for employers to have to be responsible for those benefits.
1: Okay. I mean, there definitely sounds to be like there's some progress being made for women in the workplace. I'm quite happy to hear about that. Thanks, Sarah. I want to go back to the recent provisions that have been enacted. You said that these specifically reference citizens. Why would this be? And what is the background to that restriction?
2: Yeah. So this, again, I think is, is really a fundamental feature of, let's say, the labor market in the kingdom. So, many of our listeners will you know will be aware of the kind of background of the kingdom, huge oil boom in the seventies and eighties. And to be quite honest, you know, the kingdom's population was very low, and there just weren't the skills and the number of people needed to work in this huge oil and gas industry. And so it became a sort of norm that employers in the private sector would hire foreign nationals that would come, you know, from all over the globe to work in the kingdom. And that trend has continued. And whilst there's been a huge sort of foreign workforce in the kingdom, especially in the private sector, the local population has grown. The Ministry of Labour now estimates that it has something like two hundred thirty, two hundred fifty thousand 250,000 new graduates coming onto the labour market every year. And as a population, the kingdom has a very, very young population. So Most recent demographic information show that 50 and even up to actually 70% of the population is under the age of 35. So there's a huge need to create employment opportunities for Saudi citizens. And therefore, the policy of what we call Saudization has been very, very robust in recent years. So as a policy, it's been going since the 90s, 1990s but we've really seen it take a sort of step up in terms of sophistication, enforcement and implementation since August 2011 with a number of rules being applied and now we're seeing them become a little bit more i suppose targeted because the ministry of hr is introducing regulations that are applicable to specific sectors so it and communications has really been targeted for saudization in the past 12 months and certain professions so engineering certain healthcare, you know, medical professional roles, accounting and finance. And lastly, retail is probably the most Saudized sector in the kingdom at the moment. And I think what we see is increasingly in the coming years, there is a war for talent, so a war for Saudi talent, but then balanced against that, there is this desire from the kingdom to attract the kind of international brightest and best. And I think as employers, what we're going to see is a lot of pressure on the mid-tier because the government would like the mid-tier made up increasingly of Saudi nationals, whilst historically that tier you know, of middle management has been made up of non-nationals or expats. And so I think we're going to see more and more regulation and market pressures on that layer of the workforce. And actually, interestingly, of course, the pandemic has had an incredible impact on the workforce because... Saudi Arabia was quite quick, actually, in introducing protective measures, so the kingdom suspended commercial flights in mid-March 2020, and nationals were actually banned from leaving the kingdom right up until the 17th of May this year, 2021. So the kingdom was a little bit kind of collectively under lockdown. Many, many expatriate foreign workers left. And that has meant that inevitably, I think, the number of Saudi nationals employed in the private sector has gone up because you had travel restrictions, people perhaps not wanting to leave their home country in these times of uncertainty. And so employers have been forced by necessity to recruit locally.
1: Thank you so much, Sarah. This has been such an interesting discussion. Thank you so much for your time. Well, thank you so much for having me. I've really enjoyed discussing these issues with you. As things evolve, I'd really love to call on you again and get to hear your your views on how this labor code is evolving and actually applying in practice. If you'd like to connect with Sarah or any of our lawyers from around the world, please search for them on the ELA website at ela.law by going to the big Find a Lawyer widget in the center of the page. You can also sign up to receive invitations to our upcoming webinars, download white papers and on-demand content from our online library or access the ELA's exclusive Global Employer Handbook. You've been listening to Employment Matters, a podcast brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the world's largest network of labour and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm Chloe Lopesha, and thanks everyone for listening.